Gentlemen, we are dealing with the undead. Mas, Feralto. Yes, Nosferatu. The undead. The vampire. According to the legends of my people, the last Khan Dracula became one of the undead. A vampire. I am Dracula. I bid you welcome. Welcome to the now playing Universal Films Dracula Movie Retrospective Series. I have crossed oceans of time to find Hosted by Jacob. Oh, and I have waited an eternity for a man of your strength, your gifts, your will. Arnie. I am considered somewhat of an authority on the subject. And Stuart. We've all become God's madmen. All of us. This episode will contain detailed plot spoilers and strong language. Run to your mother. We hope you enjoy the show. Now, let's eat. Today we're discussing Dracula Untold. Starring Luke Evans, Dominic Cooper, Sarah Gadon, and Charles Dance. Directed by Gary Shore. This is your Child of the Night co-host of Now Playing, Arnie. And let the games begin. And end. It's Stuart. Sometimes the world doesn't need another hero. (laughs) Sometimes what it needs is... I don't know, just another podcaster. This is Jacob. (laughs) Euro trash. Euro trash, come save me, Euro trash. You know, I'll say this much. This movie gets one thing right. It remains untold, as far as I know, the historical accuracies of Vlad the Impaler. I think the cool idea that this movie had was, we've covered so many Dracula movies, Bram Stoker's story is tiresome at this point. It would be kind of cool... And it was awfully trendy to tell a historical epic. It's worth pointing out, when Coppola's movie came out, nobody was making films like Lord of the Rings or Gladiator. There were no shows like Game of Thrones. All of that came in vogue afterwards. Here was an opportunity to turn Dracula in that direction, I think, in what would have been a cool way. I mean, yeah, I guess we'll have to discuss if sitting through... 90 minutes of this is better than that five-minute opener of Francis Ford Coppola where he covers this stuff. But yeah, I I agree. Like, there's more to tell here. What's weird to me is, like, this is the Avengers, right? This is how this was sold. That's my memory. This is why I'm not cool with it. Yes. Somewhere along the lines, we're starting the first chapter and maybe the the (laughs) second to last of the Dark Universe I barely can say this without, like, cracking up. But Universal (laughs) Pictures thought they had Avengers-level box office by sticking their monsters together in a super team. Which, look, great idea. I want monsters teaming up to fight, like, Cthulhu or something? Yeah, that would be awesome, seeing Dracula and Frankenstein and the mummy taking on bigger (laughs) monsters. I'm there for it. I mean, it'd be trash. You love trash. It would be a, a steaming pile of trash is what that would be. Yeah, what's wrong with that? It worked so well with League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Right, exactly. 
I mean, again, it does work when the artists care. Those comic books are amazing. That movie, yes, is trash. I agree. And I'm not opposed to trash. I get what you're saying. It could be fun. It just was never going to be great. You know what I mean? It's like a really B-movie premise. The fact that they thought they had something huge, Marvel-level, is a joke. Well, here's my question, because I remember when this came out, I didn't see it because it looked bad, but I remember so much buzz. This is the beginning of the Dark Universe. This is the monster universe that Universal is going to create. Watching this, that is not how this was conceived. I, I am sure of that now. And then like reading like through Wikipedia, I'm like, okay, where's all the information about how they planned this Dark Universe? There's a mention in the Wikipedia entry. It's like, yeah, this was considered at one point like, is the studio editing this page? Are they trying to put this down the memory hole 1984 <laughs> style that this was supposed to be a kickoff of the universe? Because I couldn't find anything on that. This film shows no evidence that that was the plan. Yeah, I remember the buzz around this movie because it's been nine years now, but we discussed doing Dracula films leading up to Dracula Untold and this new dark universe. Yes. <laughs> almost a decade ago now. But I also remember, and Wikipedia backs me up, that by the time they started the Dark Universe with the Mummy, they were saying, oh, Dracula Untold was a different universe. <laughs> <laughs> there's two Dark Universes? <laughs> there's a Dark Multiverse? Well, there's one with Tom Cruise in it, and there's one with <laughs> Luke Evans in it. And those two apparently are different in scale. I think we can all agree. Here's the truth. This movie started production in 2008 when Iron Man was the only Avengers film. It was going to be called Dracula Year Zero. They had a big, splashy director, Alex Proyas, who did Dark City and The Crow. And they were taking the, the hot actor of the moment, Sam Worthington of Avatar. And that was the movie. And then, of course, as Iron Man begat the Avengers, and this movie stalled, and Sam Worthington didn't become anything more than the dude from Avatar, I think they got scared by the budget I think they thought about how they might jump on a trend, and so they cut a lot of corners to have a cheap version that maybe could be part of the Dark Universe. They ended up doing reshoots. The only thing that ties it to a larger, modern storyline is the last scene of this movie. It was done really fast. It was done really close to the release of this movie once somebody in some executive office said, we've got to make interstitial material that teases a larger universe. Yeah, I could not believe this would be a planned universe because 2014, we have Guardians coming out. Like that Marvel formula is secured by that point. Like you have a little bit of humor. You you have relatable care. Like they don't use any of that stuff that you think you'd copy because that's the one successful shared universe. Like you copy that. You don't get Gary Shore who? Like, I don't know this guy. Well... You're cutting corners. This is what I'm saying about originally they were putting together Dracula Year Zero and it was budget $200 million And they just, who wants to do that for a first installment? I mean, ask the people that funded The Mummy with Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say The Mummy wanted to. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. I, you can do it one of two ways and Universal did it both. We can start this off <laughs> tepid with a modest budget and a commercial director, a guy that basically did ads and had no features to his credit with some guy that was a second stringer in a Fast and Furious sequel. Oh, at this point, he was a second-rate Orlando Bloom, right? He was in all those Hobbits. I mean, I don't feel like Luke Evans had had his moment yet. To me... Has he had his moment? 
this is it. I mean, <laughs> as far as I can tell, this is his star vehicle. But I think he would have been considered someone to watch, maybe. You know, if you were being generous, you could say that he had potential. But he didn't have his breakout movie. This could have been it. So you grab a cheap actor, a cheap director, and you hope for the best. And again, you make something for $70 million and not $200 million. It's still on those terms. I just want to point out this movie rated PG-13 and cut down to 90 minutes so they can screen it all day long. And this thing didn't do better than $55 million in the States. That's bad. It made up the difference internationally. I think the reason why they even considered continuing on with this was that this thing eventually raked in 220 thanks to international box office. Maybe Luke Evans is a star abroad. Mm, I think people just like Dracula. Yeah. Or this just <laughs> always plays better in China and Europe. Also keep in mind, you got to cut that more than in half when looking at international box office. I mean, that's how many tickets it sold, but the theaters overseas keep more than half and all of that. So they're lucky to call it a break-even. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. But they, it isn't the bomb that it, it was in America. Nobody was asking for more of this. And yet, yes, I think Luke Evans, if no one else wondered all the way through production of The Mummy if he was going to get a call and maybe do an end credit <laughs> stinger where he shows up biting into the neck of Tom Cruise. I mean, nothing against Luke Evans, but like, this is your Robert Downey Jr. that you're, you're going to kick off your universe with. Like, it was shocking watching this, how much it didn't feel like a kickoff to a shared universe, even though that's what my understanding of this was. Yeah, and yet, if it isn't a kickoff, if this was looked at as a standalone movie, why do superhero Dracula... <laughs> I mean, it's 2014. Maybe I'll talk about it at the end. They did Superhero Frankenstein this same year with I Frankenstein or the Spanish title, much better, Yo Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do think we had moved away from the idea of monsters being scary in general in this decade. It is the decade of Twilight. Vampires are super popular, but as romantic leads and not as monsters. So it makes sense that you aren't conceiving this as Nosferatu. And that's been told. Again, they're telling us, we want to do this story in a way you've never seen it before. That is much welcomed. Arnie, why don't you give him the plot, and we'll find out how different Luke Evans is from all the other Draculas. He can't do that. Then it will be Dracula told. Yeah, well, Dracula unwatched. <laughs> <laughs> it had been for almost 10 years until this podcast. Yeah, this is my first time watching it, for sure. Yep. Me too. <laughs> Never wanted to. <laughs> In the mid-15th century, Vlad the Impaler was a Transylvanian prince. The neighboring Turks demanded Transylvanian boys to join their army, and Vlad was one of them, becoming the most feared man on the battlefield. As an adult, played by Luke Evans, Vlad returned to Transylvania to rule as their prince. Ten years into his rule, the Turks have returned, demanding a thousand Transylvania boys be given to their army, including Vlad's young son. Vlad refuses and kills the Turks, but then Vlad has to worry about Turkish retaliation and the Transylvanians have no armies. Seeking a way to increase his strength, Vlad goes to a cave atop Broken Tooth Mountain. <laughs> Broken Tooth Mountain? Is this just a lot of, like, <laughs> rock climbing accidents? They're like, oh, I broke another tooth! I'm just thinking broke back Tooth Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> now that would be something. And here I'm thinking that the vampire just broke his fangs and can't feed. 
I mean, that is the thing. It just looks like a fang, and Fang Mountain's way cooler than Broken Tooth Mountain. Like, just go with that. It's a vampire movie. <laughs> Where he meets an old master vampire played by Charles Dance. My dear brother Noomsie. This old vampire turns Vlad into a vampire and tells him if Vlad can resist his thirst for blood for three days, then he'll return to normal. But if Vlad feeds, then he will be a vampire for eternity, and the master vampire will be freed from his prison in the cave. Now blessed or cursed with supernatural powers, Vlad single-handedly kills 1,000 Turks on the battlefield. Vlad's wife Marina, played by Sarah Gadan, learns of Vlad's transformation, but works to keep it a secret from his men. Still, Vlad's superpowers draw suspicion. On day three, the Turks, led by Sultan Mehmed, played by Dominic Cooper, attack with a force of 100,000 men, with the goal being to kidnap Vlad's son. In the attack, Marina is killed. As she dies, she begs Vlad to drink her blood so he will keep his superpowers and be able to rescue their son. He does drink her blood, damning himself to live as a vampire for eternity. He then creates an army of vampires from the surviving Transylvanians, thus cursing them all to live for eternity as vampires too. They attack the Turks who were unable to resist a mass vampire attack. Vlad kills Mehmed and rescues his son, but the other vampires now want to feed on Vlad's child. Vlad makes the clouds part and the sun kills all the vampires, including Vlad, but a man who I presume is Renfield? That's what I thought. <laughs> it's not his name. Okay, that's what I wrote down every time. <laughs> Skelgum. Do they say that name in this film? The uh, closed captioning informed me. Okay. <laughs> okay, I did not get that name. Well, this guy who calls Vlad Master pulls Vlad's body to shadow and offers his own blood, bringing Vlad back to life. So we jump to modern-day London, where Vlad meets a woman named Mina, who looks a lot like Marina, as they're both played by Sarah Gadon, and Vlad seems enchanted, but the master vampire, now looking like a normal Charles dance, is stalking Vlad for some reason we will never know, as credits roll. He wants to play games! <laughs> the games are beginning! Yeah, I, I think there's still a dark universe brewing. I think it could happen. We just gotta get Russell Crowe's <laughs> Jekyll and Hyde. <laughs> Oh, we'll get to that mummy movie someday. <laughs> God damn. Anyway, so let's talk about this film. It starts, you're right, where Coppola started, and I always thought that this was cool. 1442, with a tweak. This was a hiccup. It took me oh, a second to adjust, because Coppola told us that Vlad was a Christian fighting Turks. But this movie is going to actually go more with, I think, the historical truth of it, which is that Vlad was trained. He became an impaler because he was a child soldier for Turkish sultans. There may be some historical accuracy to this. I don't want to give this movie too much credit, but this feels very 300 to me where, look, I feel bad for those in Turkey right now, devastating earthquakes, but this film is not kind to the Turks. This feels very much how 300 dealt with the Persians, like they're queer-coded, like the fact that they're taking young boys... Yeah, just not 100% comfortable with this depiction of the Turks, even though they're trying to lean into history. And yeah, there might be some historical, I mean, there was a Turkish empire, there was probably child soldiers. Yes. So I think it's fair game. But yes, we're to think of Bram Stoker's Dracula. I think when we have this opening and we see those silhouettes on the spears and all of that, I think that this would like to be a soft sequel to what we saw Gary Oldman do. 
I mean, he even is wearing red armor. This is mm-hmm. different red armor, not as cool red armor as Coppola's. No. <laughs> not as muscular, yeah. Yeah, that raw musculature look. Again, nothing is cool about this movie. It doesn't have style in the way that I would call cool. I mean, Jacob, you mentioned 300 with his opening. A lot of it is still frames with, like, the CGI camera work swooping around. I thought this opening actually gave me hope. I wondered if this should have been a contender for our underrated movies book based upon... <laughs> just on this opening? Just on this opening. Children frozen in mid-whip. This is doing it for you. <laughs> and all of those silhouetted bodies impaled on spikes had a grandeur to it. From Coppola's movie. Yeah. I liked that part best of Coppola's movie, and I'm like, if this is what this whole movie is, I'm going to be very happy. Spoiler alert, that's not what this whole movie is, and this movie does not deserve to be in any underrated movies book. (laughs) I mean, when you get a a movie with this much narration at the beginning, it's already a red flag to me. Maybe yes, maybe no, but again, I am vibing on the idea that we're going to get some history, that there was this... Unfortunately, I really don't think it comes through. But I did play this movie, I watched it twice, and I did play it with commentary. And what the director talked about was that there was a Mehmed I who adopted, even though this was a Transylvania child soldier that he adopted, he came to look at him as more of a son than his own son. Thus why it sets up this rivalry that I think is really underdeveloped between these supposed half-brothers, Mehmed II and Vlad. Yeah, none of that comes through in this final cut that feels like scenes that were excised from the film. That's very Moses. The stranger comes in and is adopted by the pharaoh and rivals the brother, and but none of that's here. So, like, I can't give this film credit for that. I got it when the two meet and are called brother. I didn't get that Vlad was the favored child, but I got a sibling rivalry. I mean, you mentioned Moses. I don't know the Bible that well. I was thinking Thor and Loki from just a few years before this. But does that explain why, like, I was so confused. Vlad is taken as a child, trained to be a soldier, the best Turkish soldier. And they're like, yeah, just go back to Transylvania and be a prince and rule for a while. Like, don't you just keep all your best soldiers? I looked very carefully. Those people impaled do not wear Turkish helmets. He did not turn on the Turks, which is, I think, what we need to understand. That this guy ended up breaking free like a slave that broke from the shackles and went back home, he is now defending his homeland from Turks. It's kind of weird the way that this movie frames it as that he actually pays monetary tribute and is trying to pacify them. Yeah, he was this great leader and a favored son at that, and yet he's allowed to go off and rule Transylvania? That just doesn't track. I wish I knew the historical truth. I wish this movie cared more about that. Yeah, I agree. That was a bit of a mystery to me. I wondered if he just got too old for the battlefield since they like to send out 12-year-olds. Yeah, but the thing is, he left when he was like 20 because he's been ruling Transylvania for 10 years. We'll find out at this Easter celebration. This dude can't be in his 40s. So like he left in his 20s, in his prime. He fought for like maybe 10 years and then just left. Again, I would have liked more of this. Honest to God, if they weren't so serious about being a horror slash superhero movie, and just wanted to do gladiator kind of stuff, I would have been fine with it. Tell me the story. Yeah, I mean, a Vlad the Impaler movie could be very cool. Yeah. But we're not going to get that in. As quickly as they move away from this introductory moment, 
this 300 montage, I think you've correctly identified it as, we see that, yes, now as ruler, he is finding Turkish helmets ripped up by some creature he doesn't recognize, and he's going off to investigate a cave. And this is where it really does feel like this is Dracula year zero. Like, you're not supposed to be impressed, I think, by this Dracula, because this is the first time we really see Luke Evans. They're investigating these helmets they find, and they turn to him, and they show his face, and I'm like, oh, this is our Dracula? Like, ain't no Bella Lugosi, no Max Shrek, not even, I don't know, Lon Chaney Jr. The least impactful Dracula, which is fine if you're going for a historical thing, but they want this to be a Dracula film, like scary, and uh, okay, it's just Luke Evans. Yeah, but he's not supposed to be Dracula yet. He's supposed to just be human, and admittedly, Luke Evans is a bit of a pretty boy to ever turn into uh, Nosferatu, but I think he's fine. No one's emulating this Dracula, is all I'm saying. No, I get what you're saying, but obviously they're going for the romance cover. This is a Fabio kind of conception, like hunky, brooding, and the fact that it's almost like a crime scene investigation, which are endlessly popular in television. Here they are investigating a case. There were some cut scenes about them following a trail of armor. That would have helped, honestly, because... They seem to go straight from this clawed-up helmet, where they don't even seem impressed by the fact that there seem to be claw marks through a helmet. (laughs) And then the next thing I know, they're going to a cave. And also, if the master vampire can't leave the cave, who killed the Turks? I think he comes out at night, maybe? No, he can't leave at all. He can't leave the cave at all? Is that part of the lore they set up? I think so. Otherwise, why wouldn't he be happy with the arrangement? This would just be a lair if he could come and go as he wanted at night. This is a prison, yeah. And what is his story? I do note that in some versions, some deleted stuff, this character is labeled as Caligula. And they did actually hire the actor who played Daredevil on the TV show to do flashback scenes of this character. And... They weren't even included on the Blu-ray. Charlie Cox was going to show up as young Master Vampire? As young Caligula. (laughs) We might have known why he wound up in this frigging cave if they had actually cared about the story. Yeah, we're told some legend that's shown to us on parchment paper about somebody who made a deal with a demon and was imprisoned in a cave in exchange for eternal life. My favorite part about that backstory is when this priest or whoever is like he's a vampire it comes from the greek pie to drink i'm like what about vamp then (laughs) and second of all like i went to edom online because i like some etymology that is not where the word vampire it has no (laughs) greek latin roots no i think he said vi right no he said pie like vampire pie to drink If the Greeks were talking about pi, I think it was 3.14 when they were inventing geometry. Well, pi, it means little mouth. I went deep into the etymology (laughs) because it's a small number that defines a circle. So it means little mouth. So I can see how you get to drink from it, but that is not true. I'm going to laugh if this podcast turns into a squabble about history. (laughs) This movie don't deserve for us to parse that out. No, I'm making fun of this movie because it is so bad when it comes to history and etymology. A missed opportunity, though. Again, here's what I imagine. When this was originally conceived with the original director and all of that money, it was going to have all of this. And then somebody said, you got to do it on a dime. That suddenly we're just standing outside an obvious set of a cave 
that looks like it's from Star Trek 1960s. <laughs> and, yeah, Charles Dance and some jittery editing. The camera pans back and forth, and that's called fight choreography. It just... <laughs> Did you guys have trouble seeing that? It seemed very blurry to me with all of the camera movements, all the fights throughout this whole thing, starting in this cave. I had real trouble seeing, and I wondered if it was the Blu-ray or if you guys had it. No, I hit rewind so much because I'm like, what just happened? What was the movement there? Like, it was just hard to follow at times because, yeah, it's dark or it's just, you're right, Stuart, their lack of budget is all up there on the screen. You could feel it throughout this film. The commentary claims, I mean, I can't, I'm laughing, but <laughs> they're just big fans of Predator and they wanted to do this vampire vision. <laughs> so... This is why it looks like this. And keep in mind, we haven't reviewed Gladiator yet, but Gladiator had its own modern aesthetics on how to film old school fights. Yeah, but you don't get Tiger Vision in Gladiator. <laughs> you don't get Tiger Vision, and this was them just geeking out about Predator, one of the greatest movies ever made, according to Gary Shore. You could say a lot of things according to Gary Shore. It doesn't matter, because I don't know who Gary Shore is, but I hate... <laughs> what is this, blood vision? Like, they could sense blood, and that's what they see? They see your circulatory system, and it glows red as they approach. I mean, it's an aesthetic. I just don't think this movie looks very cool. I've said it already. I know that they are cribbing from 300, a movie that did look very cool, but they aren't pulling it off in the same way. I mean, if this really was building up to fighting Cthulhu or just something trashy B-movie, I would go with Blood Vision. But they are trying to elevate this. They're trying to make it like a historical action film. So I guess my expectations are just different when that's the genre. Yeah, this is a really cheap... Again, it resets expectations. I go from feeling in that intro of like, oh, I don't know the story to being like, oh, crap, this again? <laughs> I think... How do we get the vampire out of the cave is not a movie I wanted to watch. But I gotta say, Charles Dance looks good as the Nosferatu vampire. The only good thing in this film is Charles Dance. Yeah, I like Charles Dance in everything. I mean, yeah. you could put Charles Dance in Hot Rod with Andy Samberg, and I Ooh. might actually give that movie <laughs> some credit, you know? He was in your favorite Underworld movie. Yeah. I was thinking Underworld because he's already been a vampire. Yeah, mediocre vampire movie. I'm thinking Underworld too. <laughs> and with the makeup and things, he's almost unrecognizable. It's only the voice that comes through that lets me really know it's Charles Dance. I didn't recognize him in this opening attack. Again, partially because it's so underlit and shaky in its photography. But when this character, this Vlad, goes riding back to his castle and he stops by the monastery and we have the monk with all the scrolls, I could tell from the artist's rendition. It almost looked like the costume designer's sketch of what Charles Dance would be wearing, like a behind-the-scenes thing they just filmed as if it were from ancient times. I recognized him from that, and so I didn't see his name in the credits, didn't know he was going to be in this. But yeah, it sort of made me smile to think that Charles Dance was going to be a part of this, because I do think he elevates bad movies. He typically is put in movies that aren't great and tends to be the best thing about them. Yeah, I saw his name in the credits and Charles Dance, and I just immediately assumed he was going to be the vampire that was going to turn Luke Evans. I just, that would be the only role for Charles Dance in my mind. But Vlad's got another problem. You're right. They don't seem that bothered by the monster that's ripping through armor. The real problem for him is that his brother, his adoptive brother, Mehmed II, has inherited the throne. And he wants to start up the whole child army thing again. He has sent Ben Kingsley's son to collect a thousand kids. 
Yeah, they want to go to war. They mentioned two fronts that they want to send these children to. But you got to train them first. You got to brainwash them. You can't go to war right away, but nothing in this film makes sense. Yeah, they want those kids again. They don't want just those silver coins. And this is a case of whitewashing, right? That Vlad is going to see this Sultan and Dominic Cooper has done this before. Like, I don't know what his ethnicity is. I know he is British and he reads as white. And I believe most of the parts he plays are white characters. I mean, he played Tony Stark's dad. Well, yeah, now, but I'm talking about he played (laughs) Saddam Hussein's son. You remember that the children all had doubles and they weren't sure whether they had killed him or not. It was a goofy movie called The Devil's Double where he played (laughs) Latif. The buck-tooth impersonating son of Usama Hussein. A performance so bad, I've actually always held it against him. Whenever Dominic Cooper has appeared in anything, I've always gone, oh, fuck, it's Latif. Like, I just hate him. (laughs) And I just don't see him as a period actor. The things I've seen him in have all been modern or Captain America, the first Avenger, and the Peggy Carter series. You tell me he's British. I just can't picture him trying to play this character in the 15th century. It just feels like a miscasting. But a sultan, a Muslim, like, I feel like that is, like, this is brown skinning, right? Like, this is when we hired Italians and said they were Hispanics, Scarface, El Pacino kind of things. I'm uncomfortable with it. Let me just put it that way. Yeah, no, all the Turk depictions are awful. It's all whitewashing or whatever. There's no Turks hired in this. I hear, Jacob, your problem is that they make them look like savages. Maybe. I just want more information about what they're doing. I mean, when they put eyeliner on them, again, something they did in 300, it just feels like you're trying to do some coding on there to tell us, don't like these guys. No, no, we're not reviewing 300. 300 has huge homophobic issues. So does this. They're using those Mm. same tactics with eyeliner, collecting boys. It's subliminal things. I'm going to side with Stuart on this one. I don't see it there. They're gathering boys to go to war. Okay, read between the lines, though. The Greeks used boys to go to war, too. They also used them for other things. I get that to a degree. I get it to a degree. I just don't think it makes the sins that 300 commits. But that's another podcast. My problem, again, is that this is all based on a real history. What is that history? I don't really understand it. I don't need this to be 100% accurate, but I do just want more consideration to be given to actual battles, actual historical figures. Yeah, wouldn't it be something to see the real Caligula? All of that feels like the story that remains untold in this Dracula movie. But instead, what we're told is that the love between a father and a son is such that Vlad will not do this. He doesn't just do it for his people, but he's almost ready to give up the children and his own son. I don't think that's it. It's pride. The son says, I'll go. But he doesn't want to do it, and the mother is there pleading with him, and it's the mother that changes Vlad's mind. No, it's not. It is not. It is the fact that Ben's Kingsley's kid said, I thought you were tough. That is the thing that sets Vlad off. Like, Vlad is sitting there letting his child go off with the men that come to collect the thousand kids. And then Hamza Bey makes that snide remark. And out of that rage, he kills them and then goes, "Uh uh-oh, 
I'm not equipped for this. And this is a point where I had to like stop the film. What is this rated? Because yeah, he's going to cut the dude's arms off. I'm like, whoa, this like, okay, we're going to get some good violence in this. But no, like there's no blood. This is a very, I guess like with Lord of the Rings, that pushed the PG-13. As long as the blood's not red or you don't see blood, then you could have like beheadings and all that. And that's what this film is going to do. It did remind me a little bit of Monty Python with the lack of blood. (laughs) Yes, with those hands (laughs) coming off. I don't know how much you bleed when you cut off your arm, but it's more than this. I will agree. (laughs) It's more than this when I just accidentally cut my arm a little, let alone cut my arm off. Yeah, a paper cut draws more blood than this film does. Yeah. So if that's what you're looking for, and I do think that that's what enthusiasts of this genre would expect. I mean, again, all those movies, Gladiator and 300 and all of that. If you are a fan of that genre and you wanted to see a fight like that here... You're denied. I think that you will be blue-balled by this movie's pulling away for a PG-13, is my sense. They made a lot of compromises to try and get this to a larger audience. And so, yeah, now, again, it just diminishes Vlad that I thought you were so tough. And he's like, oh my god, I can't possibly fight this guy. I'm going to have to go get help from a vampire. The Transylvanians have no army, so I guess they've just been subservient to the Turks this whole time and paying that tribute. And yes, he is so without ideas, he decides to go back to Broken Tooth Mountain. That seems like a stretch. Were there cutscenes that helped make this logical? No, there weren't. Again, and this is really what you need to understand, because if you told me this was the biggest badass in the Turkish army, and now he's afraid to fight this guy, I'm not with him. I just don't get it. I feel like we should have followed Vlad as a child, and maybe he's still a child here when he forges this deal. I don't know. I, I don't know because I don't like I don't like the idea that he's going to turn into Doctor Strange now. Uh, Morbius, you mean? Like, this is a superhero film, so I'm not surprised. Like, yeah, I see, oh, we got to fight the Turks. I'm like, okay, he's going to go get Dracula power so he could be strong enough. Because, yeah, if they don't have an army, how do you take on this massive nation. I don't care how many people he impaled. One dude against millions is not going to work. I don't care if you're a vampire. (laughs) One dude against millions isn't going to work. Well, I'm waiting to get to that part. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the thrill of it, right? Is to see one person go out to the battlefield and... Those odds are too big. You know, again, it's costuming. The Doctor Strange red cape and the ring and all of that, like... I don't want this. Conceptually, I'm just going to put it out there. It's a huge problem that they've turned this into a hero's quest and that now we have to have a very traditional origin story where he's going to wake up with superpowers, crushing rocks and turning into flocks of bats. Yeah, when he's running and turns into a flock of bats, it reminds me, I believe it's one of the Tobey Maguire Spider-Mans, that origin story where he's running and shoots his web and takes off swinging. Woo! It feels like that moment when he burst into (laughs) bats. Yeah, where he stops and is like, did I just do that? I did, but I'm in a hurry, so let's do it again. (laughs) I mean, Dracula does have anti-hero qualities. I will recognize in some iterations we do have sympathy for him, or we are at least impressed with his lady skills, but I just don't ever want to see him put on a pedestal like this. This feels wrong. See, here's my issue, is I'm okay with that anti-hero. Like, Dracula, not the greatest guy, that's why you have to come up with an even worse villain for him to fight. But I feel like, and again, they're going for historical 
historical take. I don't want to say historical accuracy here, but they're trying to lean into history. Mm -hmm. But I feel like this Dracula, Vlad, is too noble when he's like, I have a duty to my people. And talking about his undying love, I get all that has origins. I actually do want a nastier hero in this because it's Dracula. Have some fun with that nastiness. Well, here's the thing. This is where he should become nasty. He should become the Impaler now that he's the vampire, right? That's why that historical figure got that reputation. Why Bram Stoker was drawn to this figure is because he was so cruel that women, babies, pets were all put on a stake. That's really savage. That can only be done by a monster. If they had framed it that this child ran away, found a vampire in a cave, turned into the historical Vlad the Impaler to fight the Turks, then we'd have something here. Then I could see the tension, dramatically speaking. But yeah, the fact that it turns into this, you just get this power for three days and you're already sort of in bed with the Turks, it's just confusing. Yeah, you can borrow vampire powers for three days. That is an interesting thing, too. I have heard the whole, if you don't feed, you can revert. I mean, I think we've seen that in Lost Boys and other stories, but... I mean, I go with it, but I know exactly where this is going. He's going to refuse for three days, and then, yeah, a loved one's going to be in danger, so he'll have to take that bite. There's no mystery here. And it's weird that, talking about him, how bad he is, like... At one point later on, he's like, oh, I can't let my people know that I impaled thousands of people. Like, that would really change their opinion. I'm like, no, you were you were a soldier. Like, it's weird that he's afraid of showing how tough he is to his people that he rules. He's not to the people he rules, to the audience that's paid tickets to see it. <laughs> Again, the fact that they're trying to change this into a hero rather than embrace any historical conceptions of this figure. I just think they're backing away from what they said they wanted to do. The thing that they promised, they're actually afraid to give. Now, you asked about cutscenes. There was none explaining why he made this choice, but they do have an inexplicable one, wisely cut, where after getting this power montage, he runs into Baba Yaga? The Russian witch from Hellboy? John Wick? Oh yeah, it is in John Wick too. It is a Russian folklore <laughs> character. I think of it about the recent Hellboy reboot. It had that prominently in there. And it sort of looks like that. All of a sudden, this cabin in the woods and this old witch is she's there largely to explain more about the three-day deal i don't think we need that i think i have all the explanation i need i think that she was maybe going to be a figure that popped up in other dark universe moments this is a different character than who i called renfield that shows up later on to mysteriously move the plot along yes she has one moment and it's entirely excised from the cut you watched but i think Again, if you're thinking about expanding a universe, maybe the idea was Baba Yaga would visit Tom Cruise. Be the Nick Fury? Or, you know, <laughs> at least the Maria Hill. <laughs> it was wisely cut. It wasn't scary. It wasn't creepy. And I don't know what they're going for. Are they trying to be scary? You say Dracula. I feel like you at least have to throw something to the horror audience, right? You have to have some moments of genuine terror. Charles Dance in the Cave wasn't it. No, he looks creepy. I mean, if you're going for creepy, as far as terror goes, Dracula, Vlad, gets back just in time as a thousand Turks are coming, and there is nothing frightening about his CGI attack here where he's going in, and every time somebody tries to stab him, he turns into bats, and the Turks aren't shocked by this. At no point does the Turk go, holy shit, he just turned into bats. They just keep the attack going. 
Yeah, it's like they're charging in at just him. And then, look, I get it. You want a big demonstration to kick off, like showing his powers. One against a thousand? That's maybe too much. Again, every time it's one man against tens of thousands of soldiers, it doesn't work for me. Mm, The best scene in Wonder Woman. That moment where she got out of the trench and all of that, like, that was truly heart-wrenching. Yeah, and a lot of that is her, like, just trudging forward, fighting the bullets. This is him flying through soldiers, killing them. It's not particularly creative or well shot or engaging. It feels very, like, we got to get through this. This is what a superhero does. Let's just get through this scene. It's not grandiose enough, is what I hear you saying, and I am going to agree with. Even though these are the money shots. These are where the most expensive moments are. We have some aerial to-do crap where, again, if you're impressed with the idea that Somebody grabs him, but then he can break into a thousand bats. I just have a problem with this conceptually. I just, I don't like seeing it. I don't like that this is the way it's being used. No, it's at this point that I realize he's ridiculously overpowered and that there's not going to be a whole lot in this film I enjoy because a good action scene can really win me over. And this is not a good action scene. The way it's filmed, The fact that it is so blurry, the fact that he keeps turning into these bats and doesn't seem all that great in combat. It's just that he can turn into bats and not be hit. And then when Dominic Cooper says, okay, we're going to send 100,000 men, I'm like, are we just going to get this scene again? Because it seems like literally nothing can hurt him. Yeah, and it is done. It's worth pointing out all of this was done on a soundstage kind of stuff. It is 300. They got the green screen. They're in a small, it's actually tiny when you watch the behind the scenes stuff. They're in this tiny room where people have to double up and be like, okay, I ran in this direction. Now I got to run around (laughs) behind the camera and come back and run again because we don't have enough extras. Or the money to make CGI ones. Yeah. And so all I'm saying is this is probably good enough for a TV show. Like I feel like in terms of (laughs) standards of enthusiasm, this would work as a show on CW. Yeah, but just when I think about big screen, I can't imagine sitting in an IMAX and watching this. It would be so underwhelming. Yeah, that's part of the problem is you could have tens, hundreds, millions of bad guys, but you need one to like represent them all. Like someone that's scary and tough and you're looking forward to that final showdown. And Mehmed, this is your bad guy that I'm supposed to be like invested in. Like he's just not scary. They did reduce his scenes. I don't think that you're going to get what you want when you watch them. But they had this moment where one of the powers of Dracula is that he can mesmerize. He goes and gets this soldier named Ishmael and actually turns one of the most trusted men in Mehmed's army against him. You get him only in one little moment. Mehmed comes walking into a battlefield after one of the attacks. And I think he says something to the effect of, Vlad hopes you enjoy the view. I don't know if you remember that tiny little moment. But that was a major character from a subplot that was excised. Nope. (laughs) Yeah. I have a problem with all of the supporting characters. The weird thing is we're supposed to understand there's a whole council surrounding Vlad. that He's got this guy that he talks to. And then there's the monk as well. And his wife and his kid and all of that. And honestly, they make no impression. Every superhero needs, you know, minions. They need their pepper pots. Right. Yeah. We need people to help... If nothing else, give them someone to talk to about how they're feeling about these transformations. And Luke Evans, not a dynamic screen presence, has nothing to play off of and is in a green screen room with 10 people pretending to be a thousand. It's just, it hurts. 
He has Marina. She's kind of the pepper pot. She realizes the scars on his back from being whipped by the Turks are gone and that she needs to help him cover up the fact that he can't go out in the daylight and tells the troops that because now the Transylvanians have to retreat to a monastery because they know that. Yeah, explain this to me. <laughs> the Sultan is going to bring a hundred thousand people. And she says that he went off ahead because he can't go out in the daylight when everyone else is going to the monastery. They're better protected at a monastery than they are their fortified castle. Who designed that? Who made that choice? <laughs> well, he said that it's up where they can't get catapults or... They have the high ground. Yeah. I know what gets said, but you understand my point. The idea that they have to migrate all the people is a contrivance so they can have another attack scene. It makes no real sense why you would move this many people from their actual home. And, in fact, there's not that many people. I want to know where the Transylvanians got all their silver in order to pay their tributes. Or a thousand boys! There's not enough couples here. Yeah, there's not a thousand people going to the monastery. Now, I guess we're supposed to understand some people died in the attack, but when? Because Vlad killed them all. No, I don't think anyone died in the attack. They were all coming out to help him. And he was done by the time they reached the battlefield. All right, so here's the real question. I hear your complaint. I share your grievance. <laughs> Would more money save this movie? I hear we don't like it. If they had the money for the spectacle, would the arrow be more green? Are you talking about the same script? Yes, obviously. <laughs> but they brought in, like, I don't know, John Woo or someone that could actually do action scenes? Right, you actually had a great fight scene. It would help. It would make me like this more. Yeah, it would help. If this was like The Matrix or something like that, with really great action, then at least I could file this maybe under certain scenes or guilty pleasures. But this script sucks. More than Luke Evans drinks blood, <laughs> this movie sucks. It's anemic, is the way I feel. Everything has been drained of life from here. Some of that is in the story, in the scope, and in the choreography of the fights, and all of it. Again, they would have had a better caliber of actor, I think, in Sam Worthington than Luke Evans. You know, which may be splitting hairs, but <laughs> a little bit better. I mean, I do think that they just have the C-team running the show on a minimum budget. And when I think about if I saw it done with the A-team, would I like it? I think the answer is still no, if they're not going to explore the untold story. If they're not going to really make a genuine effort to bring in more, and hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying I want a historical movie entirely. I get it's Dracula with vampires. But if they had more authentic nods to the historical truth, this movie would be way more interesting and entertaining. The thing you can't discount is an A-list director would be able to see this script and polish it mm -hmm. and bring things to the surface. So the entire concept is not unsalvageable, and Charles Dance is rather good. I wouldn't change him. I wouldn't fire him. Everyone else can go. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the kid who plays Vlad's son, he was fine. <laughs> no, he was not good. He was bad. <laughs> but I think you could have polished this turd with another rewrite and with a better concept about how you want superhero Dracula. The way it's done here... He's overpowered on the battlefield and too weak when not on the battlefield. He's indecisive. He's impotent. He's running. He just isn't very proactive in this scenario. 
Yeah. And again, the supporting players aren't helping a lot. You mentioned that the wife is trying to cover up for him. She sends people along while he's writhing in the tent. They cut a scene that would have really confused me. I understood he couldn't drink any blood, right? Right. But they actually had a moment where she ran out and got him a goat. And it was supposed to be like some dark comedy that he drank goat's blood. Twilight Vegetarian. Yeah. Does that count? I think it's people blood. Yeah. Okay. You're right. Twilight rules. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe that's why you cut it. This is also the moment where they reintroduce Skellingum as, yeah, I think Renfield in training, right? The first Renfield. While Luke Evans is saying, no, 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 three days and I'm done with this shit. They have this Roma Gypsy character saying, master, I will serve you always. Yeah, he's cutting his hand to, like, tempt him. This is very Jesus Christ fasting for 40 days, being tempted by Satan to eat. I mean, it's not a bad ticking clock. I will give you, I feel like threes, that's always kind of surrounded vampires. Trinities, the religious angle. Yeah. I'm cool with the idea that he's got three days to do this, sort of. I mean, that's a tall ask, but I'm glad that there's some kind of constraint that he's fighting against. If he had just turned into a vampire with no hope of turning back into a mortal... It would have seemed like a bad choice. The fact that he believes that he can withhold this bloodthirst long enough to return to being the lover, I just didn't believe him as the lover. They've tried. I just don't think he has much chemistry with this wife. Don't you think, though, if he had to struggle with the choice, if he didn't have this out, and it was your soul is traded for your people, that could be more powerful than this whole, you get superpowers for three days and it costs you nothing. I'm fine with the superpowers for three days. I just, you got to be more clever about it. I know where this is going. And how do you defeat a nation of millions in three days? I need to know what his strategy is. Like, this Dracula is not very smart. It's just run into the battlefield and kill everyone. Bats. Just grab bats and have them bat, bat, <laughs> yes. bat it all out. Just bats everywhere. Okay, he does make a power glove fist <laughs> out of bats to punch an army, and that's kind of amazing. Yeah, but before we get to that, because you're right, that's more or less the climax of this modest film. That should have been the whole movie. But, but I kept thinking, why are they making this a secret? You're right. He's supposed to be ashamed of this bloodlust. I keep forgetting that. And they're religious people. When they actually get wind of it, it's the monk that's like, you're not walking into daylight. They are going to turn on him. It's an interesting moment that they want to burn their leader out of the tent. And I feel like dramatically doesn't get answered. Dramatically, it doesn't feel set up because only this priest knew about the root of pie to drink. Like, only he knew what vampires were. And then all of a sudden, everyone's like, he's a vampire? We gotta kill him. But no one knew what this was. Well, you know when you've seen Satan, right? Like, that's all you gotta say. Then call him Satan, because that's gonna be, are you son of the dragon or son of the devil? Like, then call him the devil and treat him like that. I think that's the way I interpolate all this, is that for the common people, like, there's this guy named Demutru or something like that, who was apparently his best friend and basically dies but sees that his master has become this vampire, he's horrified. And I don't know, I just feel like you want to explore that more. Because I don't think at any point the audience is asked to root for him to stop having these super cool powers. We're never to see this as a curse. He's going to justify his cruelty. I impaled one village to save ten others because they would see that I'm a monster and just wouldn't fight me. He's trying to make that noble. I say lean into it. Yeah, I'm a ruthless dude trying to stand up for my country and save my people. And we get into that kind of bloodlust. Like, this is 
2014, maybe we hadn't felt that for a while, but like in the early 2000s, like a lot of Americans had bloodlust and wanted revenge. I don't know. I feel like you can understand that motive, lean into that more. Coppola's movie was cleaner because they cut it along religious, you know, first that he was a Christian fighting another religion, and then the idea that God denied him the one eternal love. All of that just made motivation so clear. I had such empathy for old men, and here, this guy, I don't care. I don't care about him. Yeah, his power glove powers. <laughs> Basically, the way he unites them is he just goes up to the bell tower and starts commanding bats to attack the arriving Turks. He doesn't even have to fight. He's just controlling them with his mind. This is not adrenalizing at all. And it looks bad. The CGI fist of bats looks bad. I kind of appreciate they go there, but I agree. None of this looks good. It looks good enough for a modest thing, right? It would be the best effect in any Underworld film, but it is not good anyway. Right. There you go. That's what I was going to say. If this was the blood god at the end of Blade, it would look amazing. And I do think this had the budget of that fourth Underworld movie where like, yeah, 60, 70 million. That's all they're working for here. They can't do it. I hear you guys saying they got nothing to show. And the answer is they've stretched their dollar, their euro, as far as it will go. And so should they have held out for more money? Should they not have made this until they had the budget? Or should they have never made this is the internal debate I can't rectify in my head. They should have never made it this way. That I'm clear of. Yeah, maybe you'd never get that money for the bigger budget thing, but you got to rewrite this then. Like, you got to write for the budget you have. I think that's the problem, is that they tried to hold on too much to their earlier ambition that could never be achieved on this budget. Or couldn't be achieved by this director. Maybe I'm putting too much into fiscal resources and not enough on creativity because plenty of directors have been handed a pittance and made mountains. Yeah, there's a reason Gary Shore has only done one featured-length film. Yeah, right. He never worked again. And why would you hire him? He did a short for some horror anthology that, like, Kevin Smith has a short in as well. So many words there that have me running in the other direction. <laughs> I know. That's why I said it. <laughs> so let's get to the climactic act turn. So everything has been about Marina or something, I guess. But even though he doesn't need to be on the battlefield, he's on the battlefield when they break in and grab his son and she falls off the bell tower and he's not fast enough to save her. I'll help this film a little. He went on the battlefield in order to get the Sultan. His hope was if you cut off the head, the body will die. If he could kill Mehmed II, maybe they'd stop coming for the Transylvanians. But he gets on the battlefield and Mehmed isn't there. And Mehmed is also not getting the sun, but he's like screaming, where is he? Where is he? And that's when Vlad realizes that this attack is just completely a distraction. And they've sent some spies or some stealth troops, some commandos or something into the castle. There's these cool blonde twins, you know, the twin henchmen that I don't think you notice as much as they want you to. You wouldn't buy an action figure. Nope, I didn't notice them. <laughs> yeah. I think they have a real problem with supporting characterizations. You really want to have people in cool outfits stand apart from this Dracula. But you guys were laughing about a man whose arm gets cut off with no blood. How about a woman that falls <laughs> thousands of feet and <laughs> lands in one piece with no broken bones and can say in her dying words, drink my blood and become Dracula? 
again, I had to rewind the movie. I'm like, oh, did he catch her at the last second? And like, it's a Spider-Man thing where, you know, the web just like snapped her neck when it caught her. But no, like she hits, but does not explode into meat like one would. (laughs) Oh, boy. And of course, to save his son, this is the moment that goes by way too quickly where we're supposed to see Vlad decide to become a vampire forever, which does not seem bad. I have not seen the downside to this other than the bad sunburns and the bloodlust. You're not human. I mean, yeah, I think you're right. That's really the problem is the audience is like, what is, what's the beef? Why not be a super cool vampire? We all love vampires at this point. So it's a fantasy. You didn't sell the horror of being this undead creature. I think we were supposed to see in those little moments that he couldn't screw his wife, right? That he couldn't be intimate with the woman he loved without thinking of ripping open her neck. To which I say, then make her a vampire too, and you're cool, right? Yes. I mean, he is going to turn everyone into vampires at the end. Right, (laughs) yes. But this is supposed to be seen as a dark turn. Without my love, there's no point to living. It's kind of the old man choice. I'm going to defy the world and embrace this vampire thing. I'm going to drink her blood and then make all of my surviving minions an undead army and we're going to ride in and tear up the Turks. Which, again, should be a scene where he's telling his people, here, drink my blood. They were attacking him earlier for being a vampire, and now they're just willingly all going to drink his blood to become vampires. Well, they are bleeding out, (laughs) right? I mean, it's either that or go on to your eternal reward that maybe you're having second thoughts about. I don't know. And do they get the three-day rule, too? I mean... (laughs) No, they get shown the sunlight. As soon as they're done, it's like, no, I'm going to burn you up. Because here's the thing, it got cut. And I think he really needed this moment. Not only do they attack the Turks, but the thousand boys were taken in this whole siege. And it's the vampires that killed them. They, in their bloodlust, after they finished with the Turks, said, we're still hungry and drank all the kids. Yeah, they're just going to fight over the sun. But before we get there, we do get the most amazing scene. I'll just say that. Charles Dance has been great, but let me do a little diversion here. There, There is a comic book that Frank Miller, The Dark Knight Returns, did about Batman called All-Star Batman and Robin the Boy Wonder. It's quite a mouthful. And at one point in that comic, Batman and Robin, they're going to take down the Green Lantern who's hunting them down. Green Lantern has a weakness to yellow. So what do they do? They lure him into a room that they painted all yellow. And then they also painted themselves yellow. And then they're also drinking yellow lemonade, which is just (laughs) chef's kiss, beautiful. So the fact that when we get to the final showdown with Mehmed, and he's wearing like this gold, like shiny, reflecting the sunlight suit, and is in a room filled with silver coins? I don't know how he knows this is Dracula's weakness, Silver, but the fact that he's just going to be cutting open bags of silver coins to weaken him, like, it is so stupid, it's almost brilliant. (laughs) This is why I want a dark universe. This is the kind of dumb stuff you do. It's trash. Yes. And the directors even speak to it. It's kind of like a spaghetti western showdown kind of moment. It's very macho and full of itself and silly, but in a way that is capital C cool, maybe. I just wish I cared about Mehmed more. Like, I wish I thought he was a cooler villain. Or Dracula, for that matter. (laughs) Or anyone. I mean, no one is cool, so they're puffing up empty suits, in my mind. Honestly, recasting Dominic Cooper with somebody menacing could have elevated this movie a full star in my ranking. Agreed. It would have meant a lot if I cared about him. But yeah, the silly coins are falling, but I'm still going (laughs) to... 
<laughs> yeah, whatever. I mean, you get it. And again, like these coins are literally probably all that's left in the budget is like pennies. <laughs> so why not just have the pennies falling from the top of the tents while you do this silliness? At some point, Dominic Cooper is bit and killed and that's it. And yes, Vlad has rescued his son and goes out and now all the vampire troops that are under his command, they've fed their fill on the... Turks, but now they want to eat Vlad's son, so Vlad has no connection to the human world. And I feel like this is a cheat, because it's daytime, but apparently Vlad can, like, bring in the clouds and make it dark, so you can't go out in the day. There was one moment, and it kind of was largely unexplained, when he was having his powers montage, he looked up at a cloudy sky and made the heavens come out. The stars suddenly poked out. So I guess this Dracula commands weather. He's Storm. That's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what happens when fangs bite a toad? <laughs> the same red arrow as every other <laughs> shitty X-Men sequel. And I thought for sure that this was the end. I mean, Vlad is dying in the sunlight, and I'm like, there's going to be a post credit scene or something that shows him gasping. I did not expect fake Renfield to come and drag him into the darkness. He gets burned up, and he just gives him some blood, and he comes back. Well, they talk about how the will is so important, and so we're supposed to think Vlad has more will than the others there. The rest of the Transylvanias that he killed and doesn't need to protect anymore. Plus, I mean, we didn't cover Hammer Horror, but they were always bringing back Christopher Lee from the dead. Oh, I know. You know, like, you just pull the stake out, pour some blood in it. It's like a used car, right? It'll just <laughs> get start right off again in any century that you want. This was the end. It's worth pointing out the filmmakers had every intention to have this be the end. Roll credits. No stinger. And it was a really late addition that they said, nope, we're jumping to the 21st century in a farmer's market in London. Where Vlad is walking in the daylight. He's pulling the Gary Oldman here. The sun does not affect him. Is it the daylight? I mean... It's not nighttime. It's overcast. Yeah, it's London, <laughs> so it could just be overcast all the time. They put a blue filter on the lens, so I don't know if they're shooting day for night. I don't understand what's going on. It's just really blue. And so we see this theme that I think it was the Francis Ford Coppola one where you talked about, Stuart, that there was this eternal love and Mina was always being reincarnated as someone else. Like, they are definitely playing into that, this closing scene. Yeah, I guess if someone said, fast, we need a way to tie this to other universal monsters. If we're bringing him into present day, having her come back in this way sort of makes sense. Having Charles Dance, who again, it goes almost unobserved that as Vlad becomes Dracula, he is freed from the cave. What he's been doing all of this time and what he hopes to do, what games they hope to play. I mean, Scrabble, <laughs> I just <laughs> Operation. He's been shopping for very fine suits. I mean, he is well-dressed in London. Here is the thing with that, this closing line. Let the games begin. Charles Dance says that earlier. When Vlad gets those powers, Charles Dance says, let the games begin. And the way they frame that, he's very ghostly looking, this pale white face. It almost feels like the seventh seal death, that it was just a corny reference. Like, here's our chess game over your life. The fact they bring that tagline back at the end to like, let the games be getting like, oh boy, this is a universe I want to get out of. Here's really ironic. I have not enjoyed myself during this film, but this end stinger 
teases a film better than the one I watched. What is a tease? It doesn't tease anything to me. I want to know what Charles Dance's big plan is. What game? (laughs) Yeah, I want to know why he's stalking Vlad. I would much rather see Luke Evans versus Charles Dance than see Luke Evans versus a bunch of guys in armor and Dominic Cooper. So while I wouldn't necessarily be excited for this sequel, I'd have hope that the sequel could actually be better. A Dracula story I want told is not the one we watched, but the one that isn't told and teased in this sequel. I'm going to slightly disagree, but mostly agree with you, Arnie. And that is the better story would have been more historical Vlad the Impaler. But because this has been such a underwhelming experience does not mean that they couldn't recover from this. I believe that, yes, this tips the idea to a much more obvious, more generic scenario for them to play out these kind of superhero horror icon games. They could make a good movie even though this first chapter, not so great. I mean, do you think it's a mistake to place so much of this movie in the past? I I get it. If you want a historical thing, maybe this is your jam. But if you're trying to bring in moviegoers to your new universe, shared universe, is this the take? Do teenagers want to see a historical period piece? First Avenger had it right. It's the same setup. We're only doing one of these. We're only going to World War II once. and then. We promise you the rest of it is modern day. And that was like the fourth film in. Like they did not start off. Now there was less planning at the beginning there, but yeah, they didn't go into the past till much later because there was another monster movie that came out in 2014. I mentioned that, I Frankenstein, where they very quickly get him to modern day. Like that's within the first 10 minutes. It's in modern day. He's still fighting a war between, get this, demons. Okay, I understand that. And gargoyles. Those stone statues on top of castles. Cool 90s cartoon. Yeah. It <laughs> there, it had to be in some versions of the script that they did do similar things. I feel like there was a tonal battle on how campy to make this. And let us not, you know, delude ourselves that we're in the, the hands of masters. These are the same <laughs> no. brilliant scribes of Last Witch Hunter, Gods of Egypt, Morbius, yep. and the upcoming Madam Web, all coming from Matt Sazaman. Madam Web will never come out. And Burke Sharpless. It's been shot. I've seen stills. So was Batgirl. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I hope you're right. Me too. I don't want to see Madam Web. <laughs> it can't be as bad as Morbius, right? Uh, it can. Oh, and worse. Yeah. yeah. So Jacob Stewart, how strongly don't you recommend Dracula Untold? <laughs> I mean, there's no question about arrow color here. Jacob. Yeah, the initial shock was like, this is how you're going to start a shared universe. But then that all quickly went away. I'm like, oh, that was not the plan with this. You don't get this nobody director. You don't get, look, Luke Evans is fine as a supporting character. You don't get him to be your leading man, your Dracula in a shared universe. Like none of anything that you would do to build this. Unless you're Disney Star Wars, they screwed up a shared universe pretty badly. But like, there are lessons to learn even in 2014 from Marvel about how you do this. And this film does none of that. Like, I I am to believe like they'd never meant for this to be the dark universe. Like that was some marketing that accidentally leaked or something because this film is so much less. And so I had to recalibrate and meet this film on its level. Okay, you're just a cheap 90 minute fanfic Dracula story meant for teens to appeal to them and make Dracula, you know, sexy and a family man and and yeah, lean into all that Twilight stuff. And even then, it's still not very good. Even when I lower my expectations (laughs) very low, 
It's just, yeah, there's no one that has any charisma except Charles Dance. Like, that's the only character that stands out, and he's in very little of this film. No other actors demand my attention. The action scenes don't demand my attention except for that giant bat fist. Like, that's the only time I smiled in this film outside of, like, Charles Dance's performance. It's just a real slog. I don't know what enjoyment there is here to be found. It's a pretty solid not recommend. Stuart. I grieve because I would actually like a movie that cared more about the historical Vlad the Impaler. And I feel like, at times, in early drafts, this thing had the right ambitions. This would have been a cool story that has not been told about Dracula as a period epic with political factions and real-life battles. And you just gently pepper in enough vampire stuff to make it interesting, to spice it up to make the documented truth become a little bit more mythic. I'm not crazy with turning him into the fifth wheel Avenger. That is, even if this movie were better made, I think a tall ask. I don't want to see sword-wheeling superhero Dracula. And the fact that they have to be so defensive and make him this family man and so boring, so milquetoast. Luke Evans and the script have really made the least compelling Dracula ever to don the screen. I can't ever think about one that I cared about less than this one because he's so generic. And that's not the reason. You ask me how bad, how much do I not recommend? I'm not damning this to hell, but the reason why it's going to be comfortably Red Arrow is because it's just simply no fun to watch. Even if you look at it as a historical epic film, like 300, or you want a horror movie, whatever you're looking for, a romance, It's not it. It's a choppy, briefly told nothing of a film with lame CGI. And I just feel like it checks boxes off in a very workmanlike fashion. It does not begin the telling of a grandiose tale like it promises. And so this is the first time. I just want to point out, I have recommended every film in this Dracula series. And I finally got to say, nope, put a stake in it. It's blah the impaler. And of course, it's a red arrow from me. I went in with low expectations. I just remembered, well, I didn't even remember the movie. I had forgotten this came out entirely. But once I was reminded there was a Dracula in 2014, I remember it not doing very well and not hearing very good things. But I went in and the very first frames, I did wonder, could this have been harshly damned, maybe because of the hype around a superhero monster universe or something. And no, they just didn't find a very interesting story to tell. Again, I rewatched Shadow of the Vampire when we did Nosferatu, and that's kind of what I would imagine would be Dracula's untold story, is his relationship with the vampire that made him. Kind of like Louis and Lestat, an interview with a vampire, something like that. And instead, the master vampire plays such a minor role in this as the whole thing is about the battle with the Turks, and it's not an interesting battle. And Dominic Cooper is not a good villain. I saw the opening credits, and I'm like, from his placement, I really hope Dominic Cooper isn't the bad guy, and Dominic Cooper (laughs) is the bad guy. Dominic Cooper is always the bad guy if Dominic Cooper is in it, because he's bad. (laughs) (laughs) He was good in First Avenger and Peggy Carter, that's all I can say. But, no, it's a not recommend from me, and can't wait till we get to The Mummy, I suppose, to discuss how this dark universe 
tried again, but I mean, at least now they're not doing that, right? The movie we've been building up to is not the start of a universe, although I would love one where Nicolas Cage is playing Dracula in all the movies, but we're getting to a standalone, what looks like a horror comedy, Renfield. Yeah, it looks great. Yeah, no sequel for Dracula Untold. They have spoofed, I think, the idea of all of this. I'm looking forward to it. We're going to have to wait a bit. Even though that is the next film in this series, we've got six weeks of theatrical releases. So much weekend of releases this year. (laughs) Starting next week with Creed 3, and it just goes on from there. Eventually, in mid-April, we're going to get Renfield. And yeah, it kind of seems like a continuation of the self-parody that Cage was doing in Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent that we covered last year. That whole idea of, yeah, Cage has played a vampire before. Oh, I'm hoping he brings (laughs) his vampire kiss. Yeah, we'll discuss all of that in April. I'm looking forward to taking a a new, truly a new take on this material. It's kind of hard to do Dracula at this point. We have had so many different versions. How do you make it fresh? Cage and comedy seems to be the right approach. Focusing on Renfield as the put-upon servant, I think, is a good idea. But yes, if you are a patron of $25 or more and like to hear us unedited, that is one of the rewards of $25 or more, is early releases of shows. And as Stuart said, next week, Creed 3, Scream 6, Shazam! Fury of the Gods, John Wick 4... We have so many Weekend of Release movies. Super Mario Brothers with Chris Pratt and Renfield. Not everyone, but several of those will go out early to our patrons of $25 or more. And speaking of our patrons, one of you has picked the movie Warrior for us to review. He specifically tied it in with our Rocky series, seeing how it is a film about MMA matches, I guess. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it either. I didn't see it, actually, and I'm not on the show. But yeah, I think (laughs) you guys are in for a pretty good... I mean, there's a lot of bad Rocky wannabes. It's better than Penitentiary. How about that? So we will be covering that this Friday as we lead into Creed 3 next week. And you can join our patron program. Details are at nowplayingpodcast forward slash donate. Or you could just head straight to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash now playing podcast. So thank you all for your support. Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. And now may the evil spirit be cast out, or at least Luke Evans cast out, until the end of time. thou exorcised, O Dracula, and thy body long undead, find destruction throughout eternity in the name of thy dark, unholy master. In the name of the All-Holiest, and through this cross, be the evil spirit cast out until the end of time. Thank you for listening to this now playing podcast movie review. We hope you enjoyed the show. Listen to them. <laughs> the children of the night. 
What sweet music, Dagmar. Help us spread the word about this show by leaving a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your podcast store of choice. But even if it would work, do you expect me to agree to anything so fantastic? Want more reviews like this one? In the archive section of NowPlayingPodcast.com, you'll find more than 1,000 in-depth movie reviews from our panel of hosts. I hope you will like it. On our site, you can hear reviews for every installment in the world's biggest film franchises, including the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Star Wars, Spider-Man, Batman, X-Men, James Bond, Middle Earth, Jurassic Park, Fast and Furious, and Transformers. You do not know why you came here tonight. It was because I wished you here. Plus, we have individual movie reviews, such as Titanic, E.T., Inception, Big Hero 6, Ready Player One, Pulp Fiction, Apocalypse Now, Doctor Strangelove, and hundreds more. I want to be what you are, see what you see, love what you love. And come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com next Tuesday for another all-new movie review podcast. You're always leaving on me in my film. <laughs> Support from listeners like you keeps Now Playing Podcast on the air. Isn't eternity together better than a few years of ordinary life? You can donate directly by tapping the support button at nowplayingpodcast.com. A good prince would have paid that price for peace. And you can join our crowdfunding campaign for early access to new episodes, exclusive reviews, and bonus reviews. The spider spinning his web for the unwary fly. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Okay, obviously we're dealing with a little bit more than just narcissism here. Associate produced by Jason Latham. I am the king of my kind. Now playing is edited by Heath, Santiago, and Arnie. I condemn you to living death, to eternal hunger for living blood. Now playing credits read by Brock. Words, words, words. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the views of Enganza Media Incorporated. How can you expect me even to listen to you when you're concealing the truth about yourself? Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. Master, we are here. You can't hear what I'm saying, but we are here. We are safe. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of and may not be used without the express written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. Your impotent men with their foolish spells cannot protect you from my power. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2023, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Good night, Mr.